All right, we have to hurry this podcast up because we only have like 19 minutes before. What's his name? Uh, Is it Herb? Who? Samuel E. Is it Samuel? I love Samuel E. So the hateful eight is is uh is is delivering our favorite food to us, Roscoe's chicken and waffles. This is because we're in LA for game seven of the uh, Western Conference first round, the only game seven of the first round in the NBA. Which because it's a reasonable time to order chicken and waffles. Listen, definitely a reasonable time to order chicken and waffles. It is currently eleven twenty one Pacific time. So 12.21 a.m. Mountain Time and 2.21 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So this is a wonderful time to order Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles. Uh, 5.38 is here with us. Uh, <laughs> A.K.A. Andy it's, Larson. It's a... Uh, Game seven podcast, Tony. It is a game seven podcast. We skipped so many games for this podcast, but that's good. Like, if we would have recorded a podcast for every game, it would not have been true to our to us. By by the way, <laughs> shout out to Marin, who told us to basically podcast. Marin is ironing her clothes right now. She is ironing According her clothes right now, according to Twitter, and we love Marin. Um. Why are we here at this at this hotel where we've been for so many times that that we walk in and they're like, you are back again. Hi, Mr. Jones. Hi, Mr. Larson. Welcome back. Yeah, they recognize us. That's that's real weird. And so how do we get here? We got here because the jazz were not physical enough. We got here because Monty McCutcheon uh, let game six. So putting this on Monty McCutcheon? Yes, he Oof. let Game Six get very physical, and the, and the Jazz did not meet that physical standard. No, that's not on Money McCutcheon. Money McCutcheon called more than half of the fouls in that game. That's on James Capers and Tom Washington, guys who are not—they are very lenient referees. Money McCutcheon is a strict referee. Those other two are 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 lenient, and we saw the results of that in Game Six. And he doesn't. Like I know the ref stats. By the way, Aaron Falk, Tony Jones, Salt Lake Tribune, Andy Larson, KSL.com. Yeah. Don't fire him. What up, everybody? (laughs) Hello. This is our Game 7 podcast. So the the, the first question that we have is, can the Jazz do it? Can the Jazz win a Game 7 on the road? They they are already 2-1 in the Staples Center. Um, Can they go 3-1? Well, we've seen home court mean almost nothing in this series. The theory, I, I guess. Maybe so. negative nothing. Yeah, going back to uh, the ESPN research earlier this year, maybe that Tinder.com has changed home court. <laughs> did, you read, did you hear this, by the way, Tony? No. Yes. This was a theory that, that has existed. I don't know if Tinder.com is a thing. Yeah, the, Tinder the Tinder dot, app. Tinder.new. <laughs> <laughs> Tinder.cc. <laughs> How do you how do you kids get on the the, on t- the, t- the the Tinder app? Yeah, you guys are really telling on yourself. Right now. <laughs> I just want to say this, and this is glorious. So, uh, you know, Tinder <laughs> aside, Monty McCutcheon, James Capers, Tom Washington aside, what is the prognosis for Game Seven on Sunday afternoon? 
I, I do think Quinn Snyder is right that the Jazz have to be tougher in attacking the paint, right? And and that was something that they uh, struggled with in Game Six is that they were held and they were they were kind of walled off in the paint with whoever was guarding the pick and roll and DeAndre Jordan kind of preventing them from getting inside. And so as a result, the Jazz got a lot of mid range looks and a lot of contested three point jump shots, which missed in the second half. Um, so I, I think that's something that they need to look at. The problem with the Jazz is right now they're not making their open shots. Yeah. They're not making their uncontested shots. They didn't in game five, but the difference between game five and game six, their defense in game five was pretty pretty otherworldly. Their defense in game six was good in the first half. It slacked off significantly in the third quarter and in the fourth quarter. And Rodney Hood said something about this where he said that we let our missed shots affect us defensively. And yeah. the Jazz can't do that. A – if they have any chance to win them all, they got to make those open jump shots. And B, they have to play the same defense that they played in game five. I thought Joe Ingles picking up a fourth foul in the third quarter was a big deal. Yeah, change the game because the, after that, the Clippers went on a 15 4 run. And then, uh, you know, just Rodney Hood is a different caliber of a defender than, Rodney, uh, than Joe Ingles, no question. Uh, Quinn Snyder, a couple of days ago, called Chris Paul an all timer, all time great. Do you agree with that at this point? And and, and does a series has a series impacted your opinion of him one way or the other? I've always thought that when you look at the pure stats and you know, oh, if Shane Young heard this from me, he'd he'd hate me for life. But um, when you look at when you look at Chris Paul, I think he's legitimately one of the top ten point guards uh, ever to play the game. Um, when just my personal opinion. I always place a premium on winning. So I'm not going to put Chris Paul above Jason Kidd. I'm not going to put Chris Paul above Gary Payton. I'm not going to put Chris Paul above Isaiah Thomas, the John Stocktons of the world. Those are the people that win. You know, I voted for James Harden over Russell Westbrook for MVP this year because of winning. Winning means a lot. You play the game to win with apologies to Herm Edwards. And, you know, and and I think – the fact that Chris Paul has not yet been past the second round of the playoffs uh, in his entire career, I think that that's a, currently um, a, a negative uh, for his career. You can make up – I mean, you can point to any factor that you want. You can point to injuries. You can point to any number of factors. And, yes, but, you know, Chris hasn't been to a conference final. And he had a 3-1 lead two years ago over the Houston Rockets, and they didn't get that done. And – I think that right now that's that's a black mark on his career. Is he all time great enough to pull this off game seven Sunday? Yeah, he I mean he is. And I think that he's been I mean, he's been so good this series. He's been by far the best player in this series, like not even close. And he's gonna be great tomorrow. And you know, that being said, I think the Jazz can overcome a great Chris Paul performance tomorrow if they do the right things. I've been blown away with how consistent his performances have been through the first six games, right? Like, it seems like every game he's been 10 for 21, scoring 29 points a game, and with 10 assists per game, and five rebounds per game, and and With great defense. With great defense, and, you know, like, he's had the same great performance all six games of this playoffs. And I, I, almost you'll you want to credit the Jazz for, like, not letting him score 40. But on the other hand, you know, 30 points on 20 shots is pretty great in itself. So do you do you ding Chris Paul in his career? 
for not so getting past the second round. I mean, you could say he's been so good in those playoffs too. But right? you could say he hasn't won an NBA final. You could say he hasn't been to the NBA finals. But he hasn't even been to a conference final. Right. No, I I, I get that, but he's been so good in trying to get there that it's not his fault, right? Like, you watch this series, for example, and he is the only above-average Clipper consistently, right? Like, Jamal Crawford has had one-and-a-half good games. I'd argue that DeAndre Jordan has been consistently above-average. Two-and-a-half good games in the series. I think DeAndre Jordan was dominant before Rudy Gobert came back. Yeah. And then Rudy Gobert muted him in games four and five. Completely agree. And he was dominant again in game six. Okay. Sure. I thought DeAndre Jordan was fantastic in game six. I thought he was pretty good, yeah. Uh, I thought him going for three, three for eleven from the free throw line mitigated some of that. Yeah, but then you look and at the the defense and the rebound. Uh, he did have seven turnovers. That is a big deal because the Jazz forced DeAndre Jordan to be a playmaker, and he is not a playmaker. Yeah. Speaking of this matchup, Rudy Gobert sprained his ankle or or tweaked his ankle, however you want to characterize this. Obviously, the storyline. What, what what's your opinion? What what do you what do you think? I mean, is there an impact here? He didn't seem quite one hundred percent. Obviously, just still coming off that that hyper extension. Um, you know, does it, this is a, a big storyline, right? Coming into this game, he's probable for what it's worth for tomorrow. I mean, I mean, he's probably he's going to play. There's no question. I mean, but you know, as somebody who's sprained sprained an ankle many many times, you feel that it's often the second day. Well, where you really get the uh, sprained ankle. How many of these sprained ankles came just because someone crossed you over in a pickup game? <laughs> None of them. <laughs> Not one. No, I, I mean, I, I think, I think you know, you often feel the this, this sprained ankle the day after. Yeah. And, you, I mean, this is a quick turnaround. This is less than 48 hours after game six. So they're... You know, there's no question that Rudy Gobert is going to play, but it's reasonable to question how effective he's going to be, how mobile he's going to be on the ankle, if he's going to be 100%, if he's going to be 90%, if he's going to be 80% or something like that. And that's going to have a big impact on what happens tomorrow night. And he's got the ankle, and he's still worrying about the knee injury, too. I, I really do think, I, you know, I talked to him after Game 5 about this when he returned, and, and he said he, it's changed how he's screening, right? Because in Game 1, he's kind of stuck out his knee in order to screen, and that was when the knee-to-knee contact happened that caused that hyperextension and the, and the knee contusion. Now he's screening in a very different way where he's keeping his legs inside, and it, it's less effective. I think he's going to be more worried about that, and I think he's going to be less mobile than he usually has been this in, in 81 games this season. And you can't be less mobile against DeAndre Jordan. And, and it hurts. Now, on the other hand, Derek Favors is probably even less mobile than a hobbled Rudy Gobert with two different injuries, right? So I think ultimately Rudy Gobert is probably going to be more effective than Derek Favors in Game 7, but still having two hobbled centers is, is a real worry for the Jazz. So... You know, here's the thing that that you look at. Uh, I think it leads to, you know, tomorrow afternoon, to me, is the first legacy game of Gordon Hayward's career. Um, that's that's the game where if, he, if Gordon Hayward goes out, win or lose, and goes 35 points, seven rebounds, five assists, 13 for 22, 13 for 23 shooting, 
that's when you can say, okay, he belongs in that next tier um, of star. And it's it's kind of like what win Paul – Wall- It's kind of like have to win. win or lose. I think it's win I or lose. I think he has to win in order to, for that to happen, right? Because you, you discount Chris Paul's stats – that is absolutely true, and that is absolutely fair. Games. That is absolutely fair. But, uh, you know, you we've already seen one star in these NBA playoffs go to another realm and another tier, and his name is John Wall mm-hmm. of the Washington Wizards. And I think that Gordon Hayward has a chance to be – because he's been really, really good in this series uh, in the games that where he hasn't eaten a sandwich from a place. <laughs> and I think – you know, this is, you know, he's 27 years old. This is the first, leg, quote-unquote, legacy game of his career. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, this is the first non-sweep playoff series of his career, right? Like, that, that Spurs series does not count in any significant way. And, like, this is the game seven of that series. Like, you remember in 2007 when Carlos Boozer went 35 points and 13 rebounds and really carried the Jazz to a massive road win over the Houston Rockets. If Gordon Hayward has a win like that, then his career is is justified in in a very real sense. He'll be as beloved among jazz fans as Carlos Boozer is what Amy is saying. Wow. We are here right now. Build the statue, guys. I do think that Carlos Boozer performance is really, really oh, underrated. I know, I, I agree. I mean, and I think actually, I think the Carlos Boozer and Darren Williams era is underrated for reasons that I, I understand. Jerry Sloan leaving, especially with Darren, right. but like you go around, like this is a complete non sequitur, and we'll we'll bring this back. But like you go around the arena, and they have um, large photographs of of star players. Mm-hmm. Have, you, have you seen this? Like, yeah. It's on uh, basically an employee level. You you probably most fans wouldn't see it. There isn't a Darren Williams or a Carlos Boozer. No. It's it goes like AK to Mehmet Okur, and and I understand, but like Darren, Darren and Carlos are better players than both of those guys. <laughs> they that are was a huge. But they went to the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, and and because of Darren and Carlos, like Carlos was incredible in that series. I don't think people understand how good he was. Dog. And I get that people don't like Darren because of the Jerry thing, but he was great in a jazz uniform. Darren ran Jerry off, and Carlos said he was getting a raise. That is Carlos saying he's getting a raise. Like, uh, you know, we had a conversation earlier today. I'm saying I'm getting a raise, and does that mean like I don't get any like you know? I, I just think Carlos Boozer deserves more respect for what he did on the floor than than what he's getting from the Jazz community as a whole. Well, here's the thing about Carlos Boozer, and this is completely non sequitur. Carlos Boozer, I I respected what Darren Williams did. I respected where he came from. Uh, I didn't always mesh with him. Professionally yeah. or personally, but I respected where he came from. Carlos Boozer, to me, great player. Well, good player. Weird but he dude. Was, but he was a mercenary. Yeah, and I, and, sure. I, and I think I think Jazz fans knew by the end that he was a mercenary. And I, and I think that that affected the way, A, Jazz fans feel about him and the way that Jazz management feel about him. There so. are a lot of successful mercenaries in NBA history. Yeah, the ones that win you NBA titles. Even the ones that don't. The ones that get you to the to NBA finals. Are, are we at the level where Chris Paul's an NBA mercenary? He's not a mercenary because he's only been with two teams. Okay. 
I mean, yeah, I, I guess what's the definition? Carlos Boozer lied to a blind man to come to Utah. <laughs> okay? Yeah. All right? And and then, you know, at the end of that contract, it was all, it was clear that he was in it for money. And I, I'm not saying that that's right, or what's wrong, that's right or wrong, and I'm not saying that he shouldn't do that. But, I mean, I am saying if you are that way, then you have to deal with some of the consequences that come to it. And some of the consequences that come with it is the fact that you're not going to be beloved, as beloved as maybe your performances that suggest that you should. Okay, so let's look at Joe Johnson. Ultimate mercenary, right? Ultimate, yeah. He's beloved here? He's Because he came to Salt Lake City as a couple of As years. a mercenary. He came to Salt Lake City as a mercenary, yes. He Ditto also, with Carlos Boozer. He also accepted he also accepted a lesser role than he had been. He also has made huge shots in the playoffs. And he also didn't make dumb statements in the press like yeah. I'm going to get a raise regardless. Like he didn't say that. Right. You know. I I feel like Part of the problem with Boozer was that the NBA fan wasn't where they are now, right? Like, I think the CBA has changed, and I think the overall fan base and and really, like, following the NBA and the Utah Jazz has changed so much that, like, you're always aware of what guys' contract situations are and what guys' money situations are. Like, no one's going to be upset this summer when Gordon Hayward opts out, right? He's going to opt out of his contract and make more money. There's no doubt about it. And no one's going to be upset about it because we all know that's going to happen. With Carlos, he had the same exact thing happen where he was going to opt out and get a raise regardless, just like Gordon Hayward is, uh, Gordon Hayward is going to this summer. And people had a problem with it then because it was 10 years ago and like John Kuhn, or not John Kuhn, sorry, Larry Kuhn. <laughs> Shout out to John Kuhn. <laughs> Shout out to John Kuhn. Larry Kuhn. Just barely come up with the CBA FAQ, and we just didn't we we didn't know that much about salaries, and we didn't know that much about the moving free agent market like we do now. I think there's something to be said. Listen, if 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 you're dating a girl and she leaves you for a hot guy, that's one thing. Especially you'd be like, well, you know what? It really sucks to lose it. This really good-looking guy, so <laughs> you know that's one thing. So, but if you know you you feel a certain way about the girl, but then you'd start to really hate her if she always sent you text messages like "I'm going to be with that hot guy," and that's the thing with Carlos Boozer. You know, I think everybody knew he was gonna he's probably gonna leave. He's probably gonna take a max deal somewhere else, but when he Said, hey, no matter what, I'm getting a raise. You know, you can't say stuff like that. And and I think that that's the reason why he's not beloved in Utah. And I think that, you know, he sat out a lot of games where, you know, it's kind of sketchy on whether he should have been sitting out. And, you know, he was a sieve defensively towards the end. And, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of – I'm just going to say I understand – that while Carlos Boozer was a very, very good player at his at the peak of his career, I understand why there's a little bit of apathy towards him in the state of Utah. I, I just appreciate you speaking from your heart and past experience, and I know there's I know there's a lot of hurt in there in that in those Carlos Boozer hot takes, and, and so 
you know, we'll talk about this later. But uh, let, let's get back to uh, Game 7 instead of Game 700 years ago, whatever the hell we're talking about right now. Um, Joe Ingles, Rodney Hood. I mean, we got we got... We saw a good performance from Gordon Hayward. We saw good numbers from George Hill, who ha- who has been okay offensively, I guess, throughout this series, maybe, but not great. Um, and then we saw nothing from from other contributors. I mean, Joe Johnson had a down game, but Rodney Hood and, and Joe Ingles had nothing offensively, essentially. I mean, is that is that to me that that's a key going forward in this game? Like, can they get going? How do they get going? Well, here's the thing. I think every rotation player that played in game six has something that – I mean, even Gordon Hayward, who finished with 31-7. Gordon's got to impose his will in four quarters over 48 minutes aside from what he did in game six, which he imposed his will in the fourth quarter. George Hill's got to make his free throws. Ronnie Hood's got to make a shot. Joe Ingles has to make a shot. Quinn Snyder's got to figure out a way to counter – what Doc did to Joe Johnson, which is trapping all of his pick and rolls, mm-hmm. making him pass the ball, not letting him be, not letting him beat him. So maybe, maybe, maybe Quinn's got to get Joe 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 Johnson on the move a little bit more, or maybe he's got to stop picking for him um, and let him go one on one stuff like that. So yeah. I think everybody's got something that they have to improve on from Game Six to Game Seven for the Jazz to collectively win this as a team. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I, I do think that that trapping thing is a big deal because it not only happened on Joe Johnson, but it happened on Gordon Hayward too, right, which is uh, it w- was really stifling for the Jazz's offense. I think they need to figure out once the Clippers do come with two guys towards the ball handler, what do the Jazz do with it? And I think they, they pass it usually pass it to Rudy Gobert, and then Rudy Gobert is the playmaker in that situation. And I don't know that a hobbled Rudy Gobert – in a playoff situation is good enough as a playmaker to consistently rely on that as your offense. And I think that's one of the problems that the Jazz had in the in the second half of game six. Uh, so figuring out how to deal with that. And, and I think the Jazz, you know, running the offense, they have ways to counter that. They can run more dribble handoffs, for example, and, and get more space towards the rim. Uh, they can run more off-ball stuff, more back-screen stuff, and, and kind of take advantage of the Clippers' ball pressure in a way to get some more shots towards the defense. I, I like. I think there's some real opportunities for them to find some space towards the rim and take advantage of that Clippers' aggression in a way they didn't in the, in Game 6. And I, and I also think that, that Quinn Snyder's got to have, out of Rodney Hood, Joe Ingles, Joe Johnson, and Gordon Hayward, three of those guys have to be on the floor yeah. at once for for the entire for most of, for most of the game. How will Neto honestly played too much in Game Six? Yeah, I mean, I think he had a big shot, and you know, but defensively, you know, it's it's just really a really problem. It, you got to have some length on uh, on on Chris Paul in order to be effective on him. Let me let me ask you this: Who's had a better series through six games? Quinn Snyder or, or Doc Rivers? Quinn Snyder by a lot. And, but Doc Rivers had a heck of a game six. Yeah, I agree with and that. That, that, and that was, and that's closed the gap for me. Like, I thought through game five, I thought Quinn Snyder was significantly outcoaching um, Doc Rivers. And I would still say on the whole, Doc Rivers, Quinn Snyder's had the better series. But Quinn Snyder had a monster, monster game six with his adjustments. Doc Rivers did. Doc, Doc Rivers, yeah. Doc Rivers had a monster game six to me. I thought that Doc Rivers 
Um, I thought I honestly thought Doc Rivers won that game for them. We we talk about Chris Paul having a desperation game. I thought that was a desperation game from Doc Rivers. I I I, I was impressed too. We got Austin Rivers back, which for 34 minutes that was a big deal. He he played really well for those 34 minutes. And survived most bait minutes and <laughs> yeah, I mean well, here's the thing. It's going to be hard. It's going to be as hard for the Clippers to close the Jazz out as for the Jazz to win this game. You know, and, and the reason why, the Jazz, the, 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 the Clippers are 3-0 and in this series on two days rest. They're 0-2 in this series on one day rest. And the reason why is right now the Jazz are the deeper team. And, you know, you're relying on Jamal Crawford to, to hit jump shots. And, you know, there's a, that one day rest – is big. You're relying on, on most base minutes, as you said, m- particularly most base defensive minutes. You're relying on Paul Pierce minutes now, particularly Paul Pierce defensive minutes. So I think that that one day rest is going to have an impact on the Clippers. And the Jazz are younger. The Jazz, you know, collectively to me, are a little, might be a little bit more athletic. You know, it, 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 I, I think the fact that it's a one day turnaround between game six and seven, I think it might have uh, a factor on this. So l- last big picture question, but who who needs this more? I mean, the Jazz are here at game seven. I, I In my opinion, it's an accomplishment for them to, to be in game seven. Um, uh, I mean, who, who needs to win the series more? I mean, who benefits more from it? I, I think... As as much as I think the Jazz will benefit from getting to the second round, I think, you know, Chris Paul really needs this. I mean, you know, you're really? talking okay. really, really needs this. I mean, I I think here's the thing. You look if the Jazz lose this, you're still looking at a team that's a young and up and coming team. You're looking at a team that's frankly, if they stay healthy next year and they return all of their moving pieces and add some ancillary pieces, you know, it's a potential fifty five win team. Um, Clippers lose this, that could be the end of their regime. Doc Rivers could go to Orlando. Um, you know, Chris Paul could go somewhere else. J.J. Reddick could go somewhere else. Blake Griffin could go somewhere else. I mean, there's, there's just so much uncertainty uh, with this current core uh, for for the Clippers. And I, I, But let, let's keep it real. Whoever wins Sunday, they're going to be walking into a bloodbath. Tuesday. Yeah, I I think the I think the Jazz would be more excited to win than than the Clippers because it's it's an accomplishment. It, you know, it's a, it's a milestone, and you know they've they've advanced to the second round now, and and you know all right, you get swept, whatever, but you've done it. The Clippers, I I could very I could see Cliff, Chris Paul staying in L.A., liking L.A. lifestyle, staying here. I could see Blake Griffin. I could see him opting back in despite the injury. You know, or, or maybe because of the injury, and I can see maybe JJ Redick being the the one piece that leaves, um, in in the off season. Gordon Hayward is a question mark still, and 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 and, and maybe reaching Game Seven here with injuries, you know, against a veteran team is is enough, and and obviously the money is going to be you know in favor of Utah. You but know, no, it's, it's a question. No, it's a big no, question mark for this franchise. No intel here, but I mean, I think the Jazz have done everything humanly possible this season to to show Gordon Hayward that 
this is a franchise that's upward and mobile and, and, and capable uh, of great things, frankly, in the very near future. I mean, you're looking at a team that has a first-team All-NBA center candidate, uh, a, a team that has a bunch of young pieces, and, you know, a team that, that has ways to get better. I mean, you know, there are two first-round picks this year. There are two – there are potentially two first-round picks next year. I mean, Dennis Lindsay has really stocked this team pretty well um, for now in the future. And, and I just think, you know, I mean, you could talk about other teams and you could talk about, you know, other places, you know, but, you know, combine what Hayward has with the Jazz, combine with the relationships he has with the Jazz, combine with the money that he can make with the Jazz that he can't make anywhere else. You know, I, I, I just think it's a pretty compelling case for him to stay. All right, let, let's wrap it up. Do, do you want to make a prediction? Do you, do you want to – I mean, a guess. I mean, I, where, where would you put your – I'm, I'm going to say that – I'm going to say that it's, it's, uh, it's a one-possession game in the final minute. That's my prediction. Well, let me, let me put it this way then. We came from Salt Lake to L.A., we're either flying back to Salt Lake or we're flying to Oakland. How many pairs of socks did you bring with you? I packed for six days. How many pairs of socks do you think you're going to wear out of that suitcase? <laughs> I'm either going to wear one pair of socks <laughs> or I'm going to wear six pairs of socks. I, I want to see you at Staples tomorrow. Six pairs of socks. Can't fit in your damn shoes. <laughs> Hey, oh. oh, we got Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles, baby. Sponsored by this podcast brought to you by uh, us leaving. Um, all right. Well, thanks, guys. And uh, we will probably have some sort of postmortem on this one way or the other uh, in just a couple of hours. Deuces. Goodbye. Goodbye, Andy. Adios, everyone.